0: Hollywood is rated LGBT radio, starring your host
1: Rob Watson. Welcome, welcome, welcome to this installment of Rated LGBT Radio, and yes, I am your your host. Rob Watson. I'm your Rob Watson, Watson host. Um, A little voice challenge today, but we will see how how that goes. But if I squeak, that is why. Um, So an exciting show today with a fascinating guest, as always. Um, If you tuned in last week, um, we talked to uh, David Archuleta, um, the uh, just recent Second runner-up in the Masked Singer Challenge and, of course, legacy of being number two years ago on American Idol um, with his new single, Up. Um, Just a couple of follow-up notes on our talk with David. Uh, I wrote an article about that talk, um, and that appeared in the Los Angeles Blade magazine this week. It is now number one in popularity on the Los Angeles Blade website, so please feel free to check that out. Um, But uh, thematically, one of the things we talked with David about was his crisis of faith and um, dealing with being gay. um, And and as he was very religious um, in the Mormon church, um, having to deal with um, the, the, the struggle between his sexuality and his spirituality. And, uh, well, our guest today is not that different, um, actually has a very different life um, trajectory and life story, but um, also have those same elements um, in his background. Um, today's guest is the religious and AIDS activist, Reverend Steve Peters. Eve has um, appeared several times in our history of the last few decades um, in different ways. Uh, He was born um, in uh, Andover, Massachusetts and as early as about three years old um, had a sense that he was gay. Uh, His father chaired the mathematics department at Phillips Academy in 1976. He um, moved to Chicago and joined the Good Shepherd Parish Metropolitan Community Church. And it was there he decided to pursue a calling to be in the professional ministry. Um, in 1982, he resigned his position there and moved to Los Angeles. Um, in Los Angeles, and at that time, um, if you know your history, that is when the epidemic hit. And Steve was caught up in that. He um, was diagnosed with AIDS, cap- uh, Carposi's sarcoma, uh, stage four lymphoma. And um, he was told by a professional at that time that he would not live past 1985. Um, thankfully, he did. Um, he uh, became patient number one in a an anti- Uh, viral drug trial, uh, of a drug called Ceramin, and um, that drug, even though it turned out to be toxic for others and its use was discontinued, it did help him to have his um, ailments go into remission, and he is in remission to this day. Um, Since his diagnosis, however, um, Steve has served across the board in numerous um, AIDS um, advocacy and, and activist roles. Um, he was on the board of directors for AIDS Project LA. Um, he was with the AIDS Interfaith Council of Southern California, the AIDS National Interim Faith Network USA. He was the first Los Angeles um, City Council AIDS Task Force on that and was field director for the AIDS Ministry of the Universal Fellowship of Metropolitan Community Churches. Um, That's not all. He achieved some notoriety in a couple of places. One was when he was invited to the White House uh, with then um, U.S. President Bill Clinton, um, and met with Bill Clinton and Al Gore, and um, they were celebrating AIDS words, words. World AIDS Day Um, as a result of that conversation he actually made it into Clinton's speech about World AIDS Day that was delivered on December 1st 1993 prior to that back in 1985 however um, he turned heads and gained notoriety by being interviewed by none other than Tammy Faye Baker uh, for a good half hour On her show, and we're going to talk about that interview. That interview was dramatized and portrayed in the movie a few years ago, *The Eyes of Tammy Faye*. So um, he made it onto the big big screen, although played by someone else. Um, He has also uh, won the humanitarian award from the uh, Los Angeles Gay Men's Choir. Um, and other notable accolades. So we will be talking to Steve very shortly. But first, I want to welcome onto the show the editor of the Los Angeles Blade magazine and the co-host and producer of this show, uh, Brody Luck.
2: Hey, Rob. Brody. Good afternoon. Welcome. Thank you. So we are looking at um, a few things today, and one of the things that sadly and unfortunately trending here at least in Southern California is we've had another uh, incident of hateful anti-Semitic and anti-gay uh, flyers uh, they were discovered earlier in the week in the city of wedlands California which is in San Bernardino County east of Los Angeles and then about two days later similar or the same flyers were found in Orange County in the city of Huntington Beach, California. Uh, the pliers are pretty bad. Um, we've also had a couple of incidences where people have noticed an uptick in uh, similar type of homophobic reactions being made as we enter through the Pride season. Law enforcement in Southern California right now is just asking residents to be alert and you know to, to kind of pay attention um one of the other things that we're also keeping and we're keeping an eye on this uh, is we've seen an uptick uh in city councils across the united states who are now voting to ban the display of pride flags uh on city property my colleagues at the detroit free press reported that in the city of Hamtramck, uh michigan the city council voted unanimously Tuesday night to ban LGBTQ pride flags from being displayed on all city uh, properties. The resolution was introduced by the mayor of pro city, Mohammed Hassan. Uh, I should note that Amtrak city is a predominantly Muslim uh, community and the city council is all Muslim. Uh, so it's a fairly conservative religious uh, area just outside of Detroit. Um, most of the members of the city council emphasized that the LGBTQ community and others are welcome, but at the same time, they need to respect religious, uh, the testimony that went on in the debate of three hours, public comment prior to the city, uh, council vote was pretty ugly and to be expected. Um, it was the usual. You know, no gay people in my backyard sort of thing. Um, And and it was typical of what we've been seeing uh, across the the country, um, as we're seeing kind of a pushback from state legislatures and others in the Republican Party uh, on LGBTQ rights. And, of course, uh, for the queer community, everything manifests in Pride Month. And so it becomes even more noticeable when actions like that of AMRAC in uh, Michigan uh, take place. So we've been keeping an eye on that one. Um, We're also kind of looking at uh, the fact that according to the Williams Institute, uh, which is a very important think tank, they partnered with the University of Chicago NORAC Center And this is interesting in the study that was released this week and we'll be reporting on shortly, more than 70% of us adults oppose using religious beliefs as a reason to discriminate against LGBTQ people. Um, and this is, uh, based on the survey numbers, more than eight, 10 respondents, uh, and this is in terms of healthcare. Um, and political and also just you know general life type in the community type police so they're saying that 70 percent of adults oppose using religious police as a reason to discriminate yet the flip side of that especially coming out of a lot of these uh heated city council meetings and heated uh, school board meetings about book bans and restrictions on LGBTQ material directly cite religious beliefs. So you've got kind of a minority that's got a very powerful microphone right now. And yet we've got the Williams Institute saying, wait, but it's not everybody. So that's the dynamic there with it. Um, In politics, of course, we're keeping a weather eye as we start the run for the White House in 2024. Most of the Republican candidates uh, have not become directly critical of former President Trump, who was arraigned yesterday in US federal court in Miami on 37 counts related to his handling of classified documents. Um, There's been some limited criticism, uh, but so far we haven't seen any real criticism of the former president. And according to the polling numbers we're getting, he is actually the front runner right now as far as the Republican nomination goes. We'll have to wait to but see. Brady,
1: um is. yeah, uh, Chris Christie actually came out really hard ass against Trump um, when he launched into his campaign. But um, it seems to me that these guys are secretly behind their backs they have their fingers crossed that his legal problems are going to kick him out of the race without them having to weigh in. So they can both um, you know, keep the base warm and fuzzy um, and positive towards them, so they're not confronting him as a sacred cow, but then once he is, for lack of a better term, politically slaughtered, they can come in and clean up the mess. What would, what, would yeah. you, what is your view on
2: that? I, I would agree with that. We're seeing a lot of that. I think that, uh, you know, plus I would also remind our listeners that we still have yet another round of legal uh, wranglings to go uh, forward in Georgia, where Trump is under investigation for electoral interference. Uh, in that state, and that could produce charges as well. So I think that I think you're right in your assessment. I think that the, the political types on the right are just kind of crossing their fingers and they're putting up a unified not ready to bash him, but they're really honestly hoping that something terrible happens so that they're allowed to. Um, from any of your
1: legal, because you've got your finger on the pulse of a lot of legal people. Um, is there any concern about the judge who was selected in Florida to oversee the um, documents
2: case? There's been some question. Uh, she's already, in earlier rulings in this case, actually, uh, ruled in favor of the former president. She is a Trump appointee. There's been some concerns as to whether or not she will assist the former president in running this into next year during the election cycle uh, with delays and allowing delays and um, that sort of thing. So there, there've been some concerns expressed. Yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
2: Any other news? That's pretty much it. Um, Pride continues to roll on. Uh, we are looking at um, the two mega prides, which of course are the big ones and that's San Francisco in New York uh, at the end of the month. And uh, we're just kind of hoping that we can get through this Pride uh, with uh, little or no incidences, as it were. And, uh, yeah, okay. this is kind of where everybody's at yeah. with that. I'm,
1: I am laughing at you because I'm sure there are lots of Los Angeles chauvinists who just uh, twirled their pearls that you that San Francisco and New York were the big ones. <laughs>
2: You know, so, oh, yeah. But, <laughs>
1: it's like, but who cares? Um, yeah, no. Uh, one thing I do want to point out to our listeners, in case you didn't know, Los Angeles Blade is in the top ten of the top uh, news sites, not just gay news sites, of Southern California. And that's up against the LA Times and Orange County Register and all sorts of other ones. So um, kudos, Brody, for uh, building up that paper um, and of course it just won the um, noted journalism award from Glad as well so um, good, good job all around
2: Thank you all right.
1: okay, so moving on, um, I do want to welcome to our show now uh, the Reverend dr. Stephen Peters Steve, welcome to the show.
0: Well, thank you, Rob. it's great to be here.
1: Well, wonderful having you. So, um, I kind of want to start with um, uh, taking you back before a lot of things happened for you. But as a young man and as a Christian, um, and knowing from a very young age that you were gay, um, take us through what that struggle was like for you.
0: Well, I I grew up thinking that for a long time that I was like the only one, the only one in the world who was gay um uh and uh i knew that there was a i felt a a, a very special charge when i saw steve reeves as hercules or uh, uh my superman comic books or whatever i i was very turned on by by muscular men's bodies and that was at a very early age like four or five and um i I uh knew to be ashamed of it because I learned that shame from uh my father and mother who uh made disparaging comments uh about um uh you, you know the the uh, the homosexual lifestyle or you know they would mutter my father would mutter under his breath and all that almost uh something like that and i thought oh my god i can never tell them that i'm one too and uh, of course by this time i realized there were others in the world but i didn't know how to find them i would go to the card catalogs at the library and look up homosexuality and find just horrible uh well books that were had horrible descriptions of of uh you know uh, what homosexual life was and and uh, I was scared to death that that was my destiny. I went to a pastor, uh, the pastor of our church, when I was 15, maybe, and told him that I thought I, I was gay. And uh, and he panicked. He got up and paced the room, looking in his library to see if there's anything he could find that would help him respond to me. And and the one thing I do remember he said so clearly was you must not tell anybody and particularly don't tell your parents they would be so ashamed of you uh and um so I didn't for years uh and uh so it, and the, I grew up in a religious household and and uh you know it was it was uh not really talked about but but when there was any sort of muttering about it it was obvious that I should be filled with shame and and self-loathing and I was right. I even tried to commit suicide when I was 15 or 16 and um, uh, fortunately I didn't go through with it but uh, I I carried the bottle of aspirin upstairs with me to my bedroom and I thought this is it and, you know I don't know if taking a bottle of aspirin would kill you but uh, I I took a couple and then realized, no,
1: I don't think so. Uh, so
0: yeah. I, I didn't, <laughs> thankfully.
1: Well, thankfully, yeah, yeah, not not recommended. Um, what was your spiritual path like? Because you've dedicated much of your life to Christianity and um, religion. I mean, you did not walk away right. from that through through no. you know, a lot of. Of treatment, where lesser men would have. Um, what What is your um, your loyalty to Christianity uh, like, and and why?
0: Well, I I always felt a, a great comfort from uh, the from the Christian religion that I grew up with in in the with the glaring exception of the shame I felt, uh, but um, <clears throat> mostly I was just so drawn to the story of jesus life death and resurrection and and it had great meaning for me and i found great comfort in being in church and and uh being in prayer and i'm from from an early age um i i knew that that my spirituality was an important aspect of who i am and uh when i graduated from college i I uh, spent a year uh, trying to be an actor, and, and it was going nowhere fast and And I realized that if I was going to uh, uh, you know have a have a good life, I really needed to uh, come out and deal with being gay. And I had read uh, Patricia Nell Warren's The Front runner, and mm-hmm. that like shifted my whole perspective on the gay community and and i thought wow if it's like that i want to be a part of it and so i started going to church at the metropolitan community church of chicago or mcc and uh that's the church that troy perry founded here in los angeles in 1968 and um i was uh i met all these wonderful gay and lesbian and trans people and And bisexual people, and and just it opened my eyes and opened my heart, and and I realized that I had a calling to the ministry, uh, and uh, I went to seminary and got my master's of divinity and became a pastor, uh, and I loved my work, so uh, uh, until I started getting sick in 1982, and that changed everything.
1: Well, you've been through so much, and we'll, we'll touch on some of those details. But um, you know, and obviously carried your faith through all that. Um, mm-hmm. I know, you know, as a Christian myself, you know, it's like I spent, and I might even consider myself somewhat of a belligerent Christian because, like you, um, I was very much adherent, adherent to Jesus's ministry and. Read the Bible and you know there are a lot of intricacies uh-huh. in his story um, and spent a lot of times online debating religious people about being gay and Christianity and how they were not inconsistent and you know there are only six kind of areas of the Bible that were anti- gay presumably although for me every when I went to really look at them because
2: when I realized I
1: was gay and I was Christian, I wanted to find out why it was supposedly yes. bad under the eyes of Christianity, which I'm going to guess that you've already confronted all of those. Um, oh, yeah. And found them <laughs> to be, you know, weak, if not non-existent. Um, right. But uh, I'm detecting nowadays there's almost like this level of, undiscussable Christianity. It's like you cannot sit down with some of the anti-trans Christians and have a logical, even a biblical debate. Um, What is your viewpoint on where popular Christianity is today and how far off the mark do you think it is from true Christianity? Well, I, I, I think that
0: the Christianity you're talking about that is so anti-trans and, and anti-LGBTQ plus, I mean, uh, they, uh, they have always existed in, in my lifetime, at least, in our lifetime. And uh, they uh, have a, a, an illogical but deeply emotionally based hatred of LGBTQ people. And right now, that's particularly coming out against trans people, non-binary people. Uh, there's there's this uh, uh, you know all this legislation that that uh, is trying to limit uh, the ability of parents to help their non-gender conforming children uh, or the their children who may be trans, uh, and and that's just a horrible way to. To interpret Christianity uh, in my viewpoint, uh, because uh, to me Christianity is about love, and um, in in the first letter of John in the New Testament, uh, John writes that God is love, and where love is, there too is God. And so, for God to condemn uh, homosexual love or trans love. Uh, or the love of a parent for their trans child is for God to condemn God, if love is God. Uh, that's an equation. And that kind of uh, theology, of God condemning God's own self, just is wrong. I mean, it's just right. not right. right. Um, and, um, no, I, uh, you know, I, yeah, go ahead.
1: Yeah, no, I was going to say, you know, absolutely. And there's a story in the Bible that, you know, they that has been downplayed by traditional Christians, but it's still there, which is, you know, there was a Roman centurion who had um, yeah. a lover who was sick. And yes. the word in the Bible is pais, which is can be interpreted as servant. But it's sort of like one of those words that in context, in a historical context, text, you know what it meant, which meant that this was a lover. And um, Jesus, you know, he called on Jesus to Mm -hmm. heal his lover. Jesus healed the lover and said the man had the greatest faith that he encountered in all of Israel. And so, Uh you know, if that story was really understood by people who look at the Bible, it's very hard to think that God condemns gay people when, he took one and said, you have the greatest faith in all of Israel. So it's just, you know, it it doesn't make sense. Um, I guess one of my questions, I'll get off the the old Christianity bandwagon, (laughs) but as a Christian, do you fear for the future of Christianity in that the people who are kind of driving the boat, if you will, um, in popular culture, are literally driving everybody away from the idea of Christianity being a loving thing, and I'll give you an example well, that yeah. um, that recently on Jeopardy, uh, one of the questions was um, fill in the blank in the Lord's Prayer, um, Our Father who art in heaven, blank be thy name, and the three contestants, none of them knew that it was the word hallowed, which oh, is like God. that's how far. Yeah, it's how far oh, people are moving from any kind of prayer consciousness or anything. But so, what what are your fears for Christianity itself?
0: Well, I, I you know I think it's really clear that that society is becoming more and more secular, and a lot and a good deal of that is reaction to this very conservative, strident, hate-filled uh, form of Christianity and uh but i i really have to say um that christianity is not a monolithic religion it is not just those christians who who oppose trans rights or gay rights and it's there are there are denominations and and many churches who are supportive of lgbtq plus people and and who love us and welcome us in leadership roles, as well as just to sit in the pews and worship uh and so there is where my hope lies for the church uh universal that uh that, that will um will end up domin uh, you know dominating uh the the survival of christianity and uh, you know it's just it's so. Sad that that the the attention seems to all be going to the the wing of Christianity that is so filled with hatred for people who are different, um, and uh, you know I but uh, I again have to stress that there are a lot of churches. There's a lot of opportunity for for Christian uh, for LGBTQ plus people to be Christian and LGBTQ, you know,
1: it's yeah, just, absolutely, it, it, yeah. It's we need to turn up the volume there. I, I want to take you back, though, historically, because you are um, pretty much best known for an incredible cultural olive branch, and that is yes. when you were literally still fighting for your life with the threat of AIDS, and in 1985 mm-hmm. sat down. Or an interview with Tammy Faye Baker, who was obviously extending the olive branch from her yeah. vantage point of, of popular Christianity, which, you know, she was put in place by um, Pat Robertson, who just passed away. You know, so obviously, right. you know, it was, she had connections to some of the hateful Christianity. Um, but it was quite a conversation how did that come about?
0: Well, uh, she wanted to be the very first televangelist to interview a gay pastor or a gay man with AIDS, and uh, it had never been done on, on, on uh, televangelistic television shows, uh, which were very popular back in those days. And um, it, so she, uh, her producers looked all over the South and the East for somebody a uh, person with aids who would go on the show and talk with her and they couldn't find anybody they finally called the aids uh aids project in atlanta the aids atlanta was the name of the project and uh the executive director there was a friend of mine and he he referred them to me and uh uh so they called me and and said we we'd love to have you come to heritage village and with Tammy and talk about being a gay man with AIDS and being a gay Christian, uh, and I said, "Well, you know, i it, it's going to go out live, I didn't want them being able to edit it to the to whatever purposes they might have." Uh,
2: and they okay. said, "Oh no,
0: of course it'll go out live, and uh, that's that's fine." And so they sent me two first class airplane tickets to Charlotte, and uh, uh, we were my. My companion and I were on our way out the door uh, to the airport when uh, the producer called and said, Tammy's sick and uh, can't do the interview, so send back the airplane tickets, the interview's off. And uh, then the next day, I got another call from the producer saying that uh, Tammy was feeling better and she wanted to do the interview like tomorrow. Uh, and uh, but uh, it was going to be the very first um, uh, satellite interview that PTL had ever done. And they were very excited about that. and I would go to a studio out in Ontario, California, uh, about an hour east of here, and uh, and sit and and talk to tammy on on by satellite. Uh, the producer came out here and uh, was uh, supervising things on this end. And uh, Tammy could see me. I was on a little TV set on a doily uh, <laughs> next to her chair. Right. And, uh, but I could not see her. I could hear her in my little earpiece, but that was it. Uh, and so I was just looking at a camera and didn't, wasn't able to read any clues. But it turned out to be just the most positive, uh, supportive uh, interview uh, a televangelist could have ever done. And Tammy got in a lot of trouble for it uh, with Pat Robertson and with Jerry Falwell, who uh, apparently saw the interview and decided at that point that PTL had to be brought down, which he did in the next year and a half or so.
1: Wow! So that was that was like the salvo for them to destroy yeah. PGL. Wow, that's, yeah. that's intense. Yeah. Um, with her eagerness to do that interview, do you feel like mm-hmm. that was her renegade, her her rebellion? Um, uh, well, that, I mean, what that she was part of it. it. Yes,
0: certainly. Uh, and she 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 had a, a concern that, that uh, Christians should be loving and caring and, and, and be embracing their gay children and their trans children and, their, and, and people with AIDS should be embraced and, and ministered to as, as good human beings who are facing a horrible, uh, stigmatized disease uh, and death and uh she she had it on her heart that uh Christians were supposed to be loving and caring and supportive, and uh, so I think that she had me on so she could have a uh a, a way to talk about that with uh, somebody who was indeed a gay Christian, and uh, she th- there has been speculation that she spent the first fifteen minutes. Talking to me about how I knew I had to be gay and why maybe I just haven't right. given women a fair try or something like that okay. and and there were some there's been some speculation that she emphasized that so completely and questioned me and grilled me really about it that she was trying to work out issues in her own marriage because of knowing that her husband was uh, uh, possibly bisexual. He was rumored to have had same-sex relationships, and uh, and so people are. Uh, there has been speculation that she was trying to work out issues in her own marriage through that interview. But I think that, that, that the is, overriding, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. There, that that is interesting because it it. Although I've kind of innocent and endearing for the time, you know, nowadays uh-huh. those questions would be pretty bizarre um oh know, yeah 40 years later but um at the yeah. time it. um i mean it certainly you know it's i i had just come out to my parents a few years before um you did that interview and you know i was getting uh-huh. i got those exact same questions you know it's like Really? It was, yeah you know it's yeah it's like you know it's it um i i think it was a point where a lot of straight people were you know and said okay i'm i'm gay and it's like they're they're like well because they relate to it from their own viewpoint of, of course that's so weird it's like it's sort of like you know i can't stand eating food you'd be like oh, don't you get mm.
2: hungry aren't you
1: you know it's like it, yeah. that's how how <laughs> how new the concept is to them yeah. um but i did notice that um she got so emotional with you about (laughs) wishing you were there, wishing she could Mm -hmm. hug you and telling you that there are so many people in the studio that just, you know, would wish you were there and wish they could, you know, be physically affectionate with you. And, and then she made the excuse that you couldn't be there because you had chemo um, and and couldn't make it, which seems obvious that that was not true Um, but, (laughs) well, I was doing that
0: experimental chemo.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But it just seemed like, Uh, like the, the forces around her were preventing you from physically being there where she personally probably wanted it in person. Yes.
0: You know, I've, I've become friends, great friends with uh, Jay Baker, Jim and Tammy's son. Uh, and he told me that, uh, that there was uh, just a fear in the, uh, that his parents would have welcomed me with open arms and would have been very affectionate and warm and, and supportive in person, but that they were scared that the camera crew wouldn't work uh, or uh, if they wouldn't uh, work if I were in the studio and that I might be treated badly by the Heritage Village hotel staff or... You know, other people that I would encounter uh, if I did come there, uh, and right. uh, and I think that there's probably a lot of truth to that. I know that there were any number of times when I was interviewed outside uh, AIDS Project Los Angeles in an alley beside the the, the agency because they wouldn't uh, the the TV crews wouldn't work if I came into the studio at KABC or wherever. And and that, uh, so they they always did the interviews outdoors because they didn't want to go into APLA. God help them!
1: (laughs) Yeah, um, yeah. I was uh, going to say that that, it wasn't the only time you were treated badly. In fact, a year later is when that happened at APLA, Mm -hmm. which is kind of bizarre when you think about it. I mean, it's like it it, to to have that happen at PTL, which is really foreign territory you know, on all mm-hmm. parts, but then to have it in a place where education should be much, much higher, um, you know. And, it, I, I mean, it also makes me reflect on the time in West Hollywood or in, in those years where when we had friends who were had AIDS and, and were in hospitals and we were going to see them and the staff was in practically hazmat suits, and we were just going to hug mm-hmm. our friends. I mean, we were, you know, yeah. we didn't know everything, but yeah. at the same time we knew that we weren't going to treat our friends without dignity.
0: Um, oh, the first, yeah. yeah, the first few years I was sick in 82 and 83, I was so terribly ill and people would not come to see me because we didn't know how AIDS was, was transmitted uh, at that point. And we didn't know there was a virus and, and, uh, so people were scared of breathing the same air as i was breathing uh literally and and they didn't want to touch anything i'd touched so they didn't come to see me if it hadn't been for a small circle of lesbians uh who you know came and visited me and stayed kept me company and brought me groceries i don't know how i would have survived those 2 years i was so right. lonely for gay men you know but for any kind oh. of company really but thank God for the yeah. women of our community.
1: Yeah, definitely. Thank God for them. I know the um, the group I was with at that time was the kind of the recovery community within the gay men yes. population, and it was very different. Yes. Sorry, you 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 a little limited on that, but um, right? Yeah, it's uh, but definitely the lesbian community stepped way way up during that period because oh, um, they could have absolutely. gotten hidden and, and run the other direction, but they they didn't. They they showed up. Yes. So, uh, Steve, I, I sorry to keep jumping around, but I do want to point out that you are writing a memoir that is going to be coming out um, spring yes. of next year. Um That's right. How, where is that book in development, and what what is your motivation for uh, putting it down in writing? Well,
0: it it just I just finished the final revision. Uh so it we're we're putting in the pictures now. There are going to be about 10 pictures from my life in there as well as the story of uh, my journey with AIDS and uh uh the working title at this point is Surviving AIDS: A Memoir of Faith, Healing, and Hope. And uh it's um uh it i think it's a it's an effort on my part to uh, share the story uh for once and for all uh of everything from tammy faye to jessica chastain and going to the oscar nominees luncheon to the elton john musical that features my interview with tammy faye to the commitment to life film the documentary that that uh has just uh been released and uh uh, and uh, a Jeffrey Shore's film, um, and right. it's an excellent documentary about APLA and and about more about well, the Los Angeles response to AIDS, uh, and uh, it's it's really good. Uh, if I do say so myself, I'm featured in yeah, it uh, actually, all through the film.
1: Yeah, we we actually um, had a show on it. Um, Jeffrey, we've had oh, Jeffrey on our show a couple of times. Yeah, we had him oh, on great. for yeah. um, commitment, commitment to Life. We also had him on uh-huh. for the other film, another, not the other, like the man yeah. is very proficient. <laughs> it's like, he, um, and he made a film about a gay couple that uh, worked with Gloria Swanson and almost played out a Sunset Boulevard scenario oh, in real no life kidding. with her. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh great, i got to see film. that. Yeah. I
0: haven't seen that one. Yeah.
1: Oh yeah, oh, no you definitely do. It, it, it's it's really good. Yeah. And you know, Jeffrey's <laughs> Jeffrey's oh, yeah. incredible. So yeah. So Jeff's um, wonderful. Is, he's you become know, a good friend. Oh yeah, he's terrific. Mm-hmm. What um what was your how how did you get involved with that, uh the documentary with him and what were what were your feelings throughout it, re revisiting all of that? <laughs> well,
0: I, uh, I was invited f- for an interview because I was on the board of APLA. I was, uh, I think, maybe only the second client to be uh, uh, on the board of directors at APLA. Uh, it was so early. I, got, uh, I, I was on the board from 85 to 1990 or 91, and, uh, and I was one of the earliest clients of the project. Uh, of, of atla and uh uh so there aren't very many clients still alive who could speak to the history of right. of APLA and the los angeles response to aids so he sought me out and uh we did a two and a half hour interview on camera uh and uh he just kept you know He's a great interviewer, and he kept uh, getting all these stories out of me that that I hadn't thought about in years. Seeing the film was kind of hard because there were so many people pictured in the film who I worked with and who I played with and who I um, I became great friends and uh, and they're all dead now, uh, yeah. and it was just. It was just so hard to watch this film of my dear, dear friends uh, at APLA who have been dead now for 35 years or more. Uh, And uh, it it was just uh, so that was hard, but it was also very inspiring. I I was so impressed with how Jeffrey brought in uh, the the minority communities' responses to AIDS, like uh, Phil Wilson and... um, Oh, what is the name of the woman? Catch One, um, who uh, owned and ran Catch One. Uh, she, she was prominently featured. Um, and, oh, I'm ashamed I've forgotten her name. I saw her at the <laughs> L.A. premiere of the movie. Um, anyway, so it was. It, it's a great film, and it, and it represents a lot of different... Aspects of the Los Angeles response to AIDS, not just APLA, but the Hollywood response, uh, both good and bad in terms of the entertainment industry, you know, showing up for Elizabeth Taylor's first big fundraiser for AIDS in 1985, a commitment to life event, uh, which was hugely successful and which I was fortunate enough to be the client, uh, the person with AIDS who spoke at the at the dinner. Uh, that wow. was quite an experience. Well, yeah,
1: yeah, it was. It, it's an important film. People should see it because, um, yeah. you know, and it, it uh, you know, having lived there at the time, you know, I r- realized that it tells the, the story of LA. It doesn't. You know, hmm. the story of LA is is very fabricated, and uh, there there are lots of levels to it that one yeah. film can't necessarily get to all of them. Um, but it, it mm-hmm. definitely was, you know, in, an important part of the story to tell where so yeah. much of the AIDS experience is told through the purview of San Francisco or through New York. Right. Um, and, right. you know, having lived uh, through it in L.A., you know, it's like there's a whole other story here. And so yeah. that that yeah. was was really incredible to um, to, to see that. Um, I do want yes. to jump to your visit to the White House with uh, Clinton okay. and um, Al Gore. What, what, how was that, and what did it feel like to hear the president talk about you
0: in the World AIDS Day speech? Well, that was pretty incredible. Uh, I mean, he didn't talk a lot about me, but he he did mention that he'd met me and that that uh, the day before, and that I'd brought well, hope to the table, <laughs> and. Um, that uh you know the the he he mentioned my remarkable story of recovery from full blown AIDS uh, and which by nineteen ninety three I was quite well uh, I had been well for a number of years in spite of having come close to death in the in early and mid eighties anyway um it was a remarkable experience because uh well first of all, just to be at the White House to meet with the president and vice president in the family dining room for AIDS prayer breakfast with 12 of us who were in AIDS ministry leadership positions in different uh, denominations. Uh, And uh, because I was the only out person with AIDS there, they seated me right next to Clinton. And uh, it was just extraordinary to be able to talk to the president of the United States over breakfast about the concern closest to my heart, the passion of my heart, uh, dealing with with AIDS. And and, uh, he really listened, uh, and uh, he was very, very clear about the fact that he wanted to bring AIDS off the back burner, which it had been for years with uh, Reagan and Bush. Uh, and, uh, And so the next day, he made this speech, and I will tell you it it was just surreal to hear the, the president talk about me. Um my mother was so excited. She she uh, vi- videotaped it. Um uh, she she put uh you know she recorded it on her VCR. Uh every single time C-SPAN showed the speech over the next 24 hours. She stayed up for the whole 24 hours. To be sure and catch it so she could distribute the interview to different friends and relatives and that uh, she was she was thrilled.
1: Yeah, no, I, I I mean it's super important and yeah, he was um, you know, he did break ground. I mean, Reagan was horrific, yeah. um, you know, not even mentioning it for years. Um uh George Bush Senior was at best, adequate, um, you know, and, and but fell short from the mark. And Clinton was the first yeah. that actually had the discussion. What was it like, um, literally talking to him? I mean, was it was there any awkwardness at all, or was it just like talking to a no. friend? No. Well, it wasn't quite
0: like talking to a friend, but uh, I mean, he was friendly enough, uh, certainly uh he was very warm uh he was a little reserved i thought uh but uh and i wasn't quite sure what that was about but um he he listened very intently to what i was saying and and repeated back to me what i what i'd said to make sure that he got it right and uh he did take notes uh and uh, uh you know not not just when i spoke but when others spoke as well during the meeting after the breakfast and uh um he uh you know i i had brought him uh the pamphlets that I'd written and the book that i'd written and and uh uh and he pocketed them all and, and said he was very interested to read them and uh and uh he was it was quite something um and uh he you know he asked me. Uh, about, you know, how I ever survived it when everybody else seemed to have died from it. And, uh, I told him, you know, bottom line, I don't know. Uh, but, uh, I think uh, partly it has to do with my faith and, and it had to do with I, I, I worked very hard at getting well. Um, and, uh, but, uh, I also was on this experimental chemo that, did for me what it didn't do for anyone else in terms of putting right. my cancers into complete remission, but it was very toxic and couldn't be used any further in in aids um but uh uh you know it was remarkable to be able to speak truth to power literally yeah i think that that is power. And and very few of us are privileged enough to actually get close enough to somebody who has real power, like the president of the United States, and to speak our truths to that person. It just it it was a thrill, and it was humbling, and it was uh, it was just a remarkable moment in my life. and
1: well, and, and a remarkable landmark because I think. Pudos to you, you know. In in terms of that environment, when you're speaking truth to power, I think a lot of us would freeze up and go kind of like, uh, yeah, uh, like your I like your hair, Mr. President. You know, it's like, you know, like <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, it's like it, it, it is if there's ever a moment where your mind could go blank, that would probably be it. So that you had presence yeah. of mind um, in that environment, that 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 would be awesome. Um, so see, we we are literally down to our last five minutes. Um, okay. If you could talk a little bit about what it is like to be a survivor, if there's any kind of survivor guilt, um, or or, yes. or heightening of your mission, being you know a survivor of that time period, and what do you want to let young people today, especially young people who are under attack by the establishment the way they are, Um, what lessons have you learned from going through all that that you would want to impart on them? What is your wisdom? Hmm.
0: Well, I think it's very important to be out and proud still. uh, And uh, even more so now because of all of the anti-LGBTQ rhetoric and, and laws that are being passed and, and all of that, it's really important that we be out. Harvey Milk in the 70s talked about the importance of everybody coming out and letting everybody in your life know that you are LGBTQ+, plus whatever, so that people have a human face to associate with. Because it's harder to hate somebody if you can see them and you can talk to them if you have anything approaching an open heart, unfortunately, a lot of people don't so i'd I'd say it's really important for young people to be out and proud to to face the bullies, to face the uh, the antagonism and the and to uh, you know get out the vote and and get out and vote uh, voting you know um, there's a wonderful uh, image of Glinda in The Wizard of Oz. Uh, throwing uh, you know with dorothy and and dorothy is is whispering to herself i wish the republicans would 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 get voted out i wish the republicans would get voted out and she said, and glinda says honey that's wonderful but you you can't just say that you have to get out and vote uh, and uh yeah. it's a perfect little meme uh for for uh you know the importance of our participation in our democracy. Um and uh so that is an important thing to get out and demonstrate, be there uh when there are protests and and uh when there are demonstrations. Uh, be there. Just show up and and see what happens and see what happens your own sense of pride and joy in being LGBTQ. Uh, you know, it, it's, it, I love being gay, and I've had a, an amazing life, and I continue to have an amazing life. And, um, and it all started to happen when I finally came out uh, in the, in the mid-70s. And uh, right. so uh, come out, come out, wherever you are.
1: <laughs> and, perfect <laughs> come out come out yeah. well thank you so much yeah. for coming on today thank you for being of you and everything you've done and continue to do and yeah um you know your joy and pleasure and um you know um love that you exude is is uh formidable uh so thank you thank wow. you thank you um and that thank is you, it Bob. for us for today we are out of time. Well, we will be back again next week. I want to thank Brody Levesque, and don't forget, again, to check out the Los Angeles Blade magazine, losangelesblade.com and um, check us out. Tell your friends to subscribe to our podcast, available where all podcasts can be heard. Um, and for that, we will see you next week, and uh, we will talk to you then. You've been listening to Rated LGBT Radio.